Our scripture passage this morning is found in Isaiah chapter 42. Hear now the word of the Lord. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his teachings. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open eyes that are blind, to bring out prisoners from the dungeons, from prisons, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I will tell you of them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We're in a season of the year called Ordinary Time or, or Kingdom Time. It begins right after Pentecost and it's actually going to run all the way to Advent of 2020. It gives us this long season of Ordinary Time, gives us a a stretch to really dig into the story of God during those normal, ordinary times of life. It gives us an opportunity in the long heat of summer to retell what God has done. Now, you may be thinking to yourself that right now feels very much outside of the ordinary. And you're right, it is. And so for the next five weeks or so, I want to I want to spend some time looking at how Israel told its story during one of those unordinary times. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to stay with me in Isaiah 42. We're going to be looking at it in detail today. Verse 1 says this, Here is the servant, here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit within him. Uh, this passage is one of four passages in the second part of Isaiah that, that talks about the servant of God. Next week we're going to look at the, uh, the next one in Isaiah 49. We're, we're going to skip over the ones that come in Isaiah 50 and 52. But it's interesting that these texts, these stories, they give us a, this very interesting turn and shift in Israel's theology. Israel at this point was in captivity. They were in exile. But then, in the midst of that state of being away from their homes and broken, they have this word spoken to them. God is not done with you. And, and that simple message, it grabs hold of them, and it captures them, and it changes them. Over these next few weeks, we're going to look at how the story of God comes to us and grabs hold of us, how it captures our life how it changes us. And I want to start this week by, by just dwelling on that idea because it's not one that, 
that we're, it's one that's kind of hard for us. If there is one thing that we modern Western Americans believe above all others, it is that we are individuals, that we are autonomous, that we are free. We are the ones who make the decisions and choose. I, I had a professor who would always pick at this and he would say the phrase, we like to believe that we have no story, but the story we chose when we had no story. We exist, and there is nothing imposed upon us. We are free to write our own story. We are free to determine our path. Frank Sinatra said it for uh, best and first. He sang the song, I did it my way. Natasha Benningfield is a little bit more contemporary writer, singer-songwriter. She, she has a song called I Am Unwritten. It goes like this. I am unwritten. I can't, you can't read my mind. I'm undefined. I'm just beginning. The pen's in my hand. Endings unplanned. That speaks for a lot of how we see ourselves. You have a blank book in front of you. And you hold that pen in your hand and you are able to choose and make decisions and write out your own life and chart your own course. This autonomous self-realization, uh, existential may be the uh, fancy philosophical word for it, it's not necessarily a bad thing. And I want you to hear me say that because I'm going to say some bad things about it in just a moment. It's not a bad thing because it, it, stops from, it stops us from buying into certain nihilistic determinisms. You, you can't go out and say, the devil made me do it. There aren't forces that are controlling your life and deciding what you eat for breakfast. The children who are listening may want to disagree with that last bit. Existentialism means that if you don't like your life, go out and do something about it. You made certain choices and decisions that brought you to this place, and you can go out tomorrow or even today and start making brand new choices. There are some challenges in this, though, in this mindset that grabs us as modern Westerners. Freedom isn't all it's cracked up to be. When you make a decision, any decision, you wall off and, and separate all sorts of other decisions. When when I decided to, to marry Yvonne. I chose to put a wall up against all of the other women who were clamoring for my attention. I'll just let that one go. Freedom can be a, a burden. You can find yourself captured by existential dread. How can I ever choose between A and B? between Samsung and LG, between Coke and Pepsi. And, and in that place you can become catatonic and imprisoned by the sheer mass of choice. We do this, unfortunately, to our children. From a very early age, we start grooming them and asking them the question, what are you going to do when you grow up? And, and that's fine until you reach that certain point in life where you have to declare a college major. And all of a sudden, that weight of life, that, that force of choice settles in upon you. What if I make the wrong decision? What if I set myself up on a path and it, it goes all wrong? Long gone are the days when your family tradition determined who you would be when your, your father was a cobbler, and so you become a cobbler, and your children will become a cobbler. I think there was some peace and comfort in that system. 
maybe though the biggest challenge, the, the hardest part, is that in our focus on freedom and choice, is that we don't see the ways that we aren't free. We, we don't see the choices we can't make. Our culture doesn't like this very much. This emphasis on freedom and choice and decision, it, it blinds us to all of the systems that influence and define and shape us. We can so often be like those fish, blissfully unaware that they are even wet, arguing till they're blue in the face about the existence of water. There, there's a lot of things in, in my life that I didn't choose. I was born a, a white male in South Carolina in the late 70s. I didn't choose any all of any of that. I, I was born into the suburbs and raised there. I was born in, into a family with two parents who had college degrees. I was born into a, a place that had a really high standard of education in the midst of, of South Carolina, which really doesn't. Uh, I, I didn't choose to, to, to be a Nazarene. You all grabbed me at an early age and dedicated me and, and I've been trying to figure out how to get out the rest of my life. There are things that I probably couldn't choose. As much as I would like to pretend, I probably don't have the genetics to be a bodybuilder. Now I know I know some of you are going to disagree right now. No, you're, you're no. I, I, I'm never going to have the chiseled abs and, and quads the size of tree trunks. I could hit the gym really, really hard, and short of doing substances, I'm probably never going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger or Ronnie Coleman. I have to, I have to bear that shame. Character is what we call this. The, the character is, is, is developed when we realize that there are these limitations, and then we respond to those limitations. Character is the recognition that I am not writing my own story in the abstract. I am part of a story. I am a character within a story. And some of those things that are just given or who are, are thrust upon me, are, I just have to respond to. There are certain privileges that I have that I have to respond to. There are certain marginalizations that I have that I have to respond to. We, we as a people, we celebrate this when we see those who are exhibiting their character in situations that they did not choose. I was recently talking to our church, a church member who, who's had a pretty rough couple of years. Got cancer, went through a long process of chemo and all the side effects with that. Got shingles and was dealing with that and just, just, just a rough time. But through it all, she has been professing a faithfulness in God, her testimony of God's presence and God's trust and God's grace in the midst of it. You know, my, my friend didn't choose cancer. But being caught in that situation, she exhibited faith and courage and sincerity. There is this realization that, that not all of life is our choice. We aren't writing our story alone. We are a part of something bigger. Isaiah puts it this way. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. We have been chosen by God. God loves us and delights in us, and, and God has given us his spirit, and we have been caught up in this thing. 
What Israel is starting to realize there in that place of exile and brokenness is that they are a part of something bigger than them. They are a part of a story, and that story goes, God is redeeming God's creation. And they are invited to participate in that story, and that invitation changes them. They begin to say, we, we didn't choose this story, but we have been chosen by this story. A similar thing happens to us in our baptism. Baptism is not us deciding to follow Jesus. Baptism is not us choosing to be a part of the church. Baptism is, is, is kind of giving up. It's the story of God's redemption capturing us. It is this grace and love and mercy of God like that shepherd who leaves the 99 to hunt down the one lost sheep and draws us back into the most true of all stories and it keeps coming to us and that shepherd keeps drawing at us until we finally say, all right, I give up, I'll get into the pool. In baptism, we are captured by a story. A story that comes to us and, and grabs hold of us and then drowns us. Paul would put it this way when he talks about baptism. You have been crucified with Christ. You've been put to death. You and your whole life. Isaiah comes and, and describes how this chosenness plays out. Verse 2, he says, He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A dimly burning wick he will not quench. There is a calmness, a, a gentleness in this story. He won't cry out. He won't break those branches and twigs that are just barely holding on. He won't blow out that wick that is just barely making it. This is how God deals with those who are hurting, with those who are stressed. We are to be a force of peace and reconciliation and goodness. And this is, this is a crazy idea. Israel starts to look back and say, oh, we, we always thought we were chosen like, like the kid on the playground gets chosen by the good team to play kickball. We're finally going to win. Here is the creator of the universe, the God of all, omnipotent and powerful. This God is going to snatch us up and give us the means to go out and conquer the world and rule over the nations. Israel got this idea that they would bring peace the way that all other nations bring peace. Through superior firepower. That's how Babylon does it. That's how Rome did it. That's how all empires done it, did it, do it by focusing on strength and power, by setting aside the weak and the marginalized. And Israel starts looking back and, and seeing their story, and they say, we, we tried it that way. David was powerful. Yeah, he was a murderer and adulterer. Solomon was, was powerful. Yeah, he led us into idolatry. And they saw how these desires for power it led them away from the story that they were captured by. Because every time that God chooses, God chooses the smallest and the youngest. 
God chooses the least expected. God chooses in ways that are exactly opposite in the ways that the world chooses. That's what Jesus does. Christ is the full embodiment of the one who comes, not loud and demanding, not coercing, not desiring and choosing his own way. Christ comes gently, caring for those who are on the margins. He is the peacemaker and a healer. And I fear that we Christians, like all Christians before us, struggle with that part. We struggle with our imaginations, and when we get fearful, the only way we can make sense of the world and think we can make it in the world is by being louder and more brash and more demanding to raise our voice and clench our fist and stomp our foot. And this word reminds us that we are those who have been captured by a story that is different, and it makes us have a different posture toward the world. The last verses, 5 through 9, reads this. Thus says the Lord, the God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it. I am the Lord, and I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open eyes that are blind, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon. I'll from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Israel enters the Red Sea, and they put all of their past behind them. And they come out on the other side, redeemed, new creation, people of the law, people who are going to embody God's new way of being in the world. Jesus goes into the water, submits himself to God's will even unto death, and he comes out of the water, even out of the grave, proclaiming a new way of existing in the world. We are people who have been captured by a story that calls us to live in the hope that God would use us to bring peace, goodness, that we would be a light to the nations, a healing to the world. In the weeks to come, we're going to think more about this, but I wanted to remind you today that you've been caught by a story. You can try to run. Jonah did. It didn't work out too well for him. Uh, but there's this interesting thing that happens in the Jonah story. Uh, Noah, we, we know that. And Noah, uh, God delivers the righteous and, and holds them above the water, and the wicked are the ones who, who go under the water and are drowned. But by the time of Jonah, the people come to realize that it doesn't actually work that way. Jonah goes into the deep. And the sailors are saved on top. This is the way that God redeems all things. So hear this, my friends. You have been baptized. And if you haven't been baptized, we, we have water. 
we might have to get a little creative in the, the days of quarantine and COVID, but we, we can get it done. And I promise you that I will hold you under the water just long enough for that old life to go away. Remember today that you have been caught by a story. Remember the one who makes all things new and invites us into his story. Remember that you have been chosen by God to be a light to the nations, to bring sight to the blind, to bring release to the captives. Remember that you are changed and go out and live like it. Let us pray. And now, O Lord God, may your mercy, which endures forever, shine upon us this day and bring us in the light of the gospel to inhabit the story that has laid claim on our lives and to live it out faithfully by your grace and courage. In the very name of our Savior and Lord, we pray. Amen.